Welcome, everybody, to week three of Relationship Goals. Uh, this has been an excellent series. Now, if you're just tuning in on Facebook Live and maybe you're trying to watch early, we had like a huge computer meltdown, but thankfully we have a David Clark here at New Life Church. Everybody, would you thank David Clark and our amazing team? They got it working for us. Hopefully when I said that, it's still working. <laughs> so if you have not been at any of the first two weeks, um, the first week of this series, we asked for some of you to post one of your funny wedding pics. And a few of you joined in and made us laugh, and we thought we wanted to show everybody the picture, some of our favorites that you all posted, so we could also laugh, not at you, but with you. And so I wanted to start off today with showing us some of these pictures. So here's the first one. I like this one very much. The Kermeen's wedding. Tyler having some bro love with Dennis. You know what's funny is they're, they're like that to this day. The bro love. All right, show the next one. Like this one right here. Notice he's not feeding her cake. That is a, what, a soft taco? And she's holding a sign that says, all you need is love and tacos. <laughs> now, this particular family, the Bundys are sitting right there, they love Taco Bell so much. She eats, I mean, it's every day, right, pretty much? Every day she eats Taco Bell. And she's alive, so she's proof that Jesus and his healing power exist. Show us the next picture. You're going to like this one. Look who that is. That is Pastor Daryl and Bonnie, our founding pastors. <laughs> they were in the early service. They were in the early service, and Dad was telling me after the first service, he said, you know, somebody said when you posted that picture, somebody said, who is that? <laughs> Look at that mustache. Smooth. Smooth. Man, I love it. All right, one more picture. This is the Bradshaws. Y'all know Sarah and Dave Bradshaw. If you don't know them, then this captures their relationship perfectly. Just smearing. And look at, look at little Dave Jr.'s face. Look at his eyes underneath the armpits there. He was like, what is happening? What is happening? Anyway, thank you all for sharing some of your funny pics. We had a lot of really good ones on there. Some, we probably ought to make a little slideshow of it because it was really funny stuff. Um, so we started this series three weeks ago. Today we're going to finish it up. And when you show up on the third part of a three-part series, maybe you missed the first two parts. It's like walking in at the end of the moving. At the end of the movie, you see the ending, and it's great, but you don't know what led up to it. And so, if you need to go back and rewatch the first two messages, and it'll help you out. I promise you, it'll be worth watching. Uh, they're available on our website, nlcwv.com. Everything's on demand. So we learned in week one. Quick recap: We learned in week one that. The odds are stacked against us, especially married couples. It's not great. It's not even better for married couples that are Christians. It doesn't improve. The, the odds stay bad. And we thought, what can we do to change these odds? Well, we know we need to get right back into the presence of God, get in the work, Word of God, and establish God as our one and our spouse as our two. So we said, if, if you are married, then you're going to seek God as your one with your two, with your spouse, and work together and grow together. And so we challenge you to pray together and to get in the Word of God together. Join hands and pray over each other and, and do things that make you uncomfortable in order to see God move in your relationship. Uh, we said, if you were single, then you were going to seek God as your one while preparing for your number two, because it, odds are you're going to meet somebody one day, and you want to be ready, and you want to become the person that you're hoping to meet yourself. 
So we continued that with week number two. We said, all right, well, here's the issue. If you've made God your number one, make sure that your spouse is your two. Because a lot of us, our spouse is not our two. Our job is two. Our, our work is two. Or our kids are number two. Or our hobbies or different things are number two. And the spouse is three or four or five or down the list. And that's a problem. So how can we serve our spouse? How can we love our spouse? And we introduced the one heart principle. And that is what I do for you, I do for me. What uh, happens to you happens to me. We have one heart. And so when I wound you, I wound me. But when I encourage you, I'm, wound, I'm encouraging me, building us. And it was, this, it was this practical application of serving the way Jesus loves and serves us. And so here we are week number three. Now I'm going to tell you, today is not a high five, fist bump, everybody smiling kind of message. This one is, I'm going to get into some theology today. And it's going to, I know it's going to be challenging. But it's some of those challenging messages where we grow the most. Yeah, I'm serious. It's in some of these challenging messages where we experience some of the most growth. And so are you with me today? All right, bow your heads, let's pray. Father, in Jesus' name, we thank you for your word. Your word is sharper, the Bible says, than a two-edged sword. Swings both ways, cuts things. So, Lord, we pray that it cuts the enemy down in our life. God, you help us again to establish God-given principles and goals for our lives and our relationship. We open our heart and allow your voice to speak to us and through us. We yield to you. We give you glory for this. In Jesus' name, everybody say amen. So... When you're younger, if you were like me, you used to think about your future. I used to think about my future. I hit a certain age and I started thinking, I wonder what my life will look like. And then you started kind of pretending and having goals in your mind. And if you were like me, you also maybe had pretended and had imagined a little bit of a schedule where you wanted to accomplish certain things by. So, you know, by the age of 22, I want to be out of college. By the age of, you know, 25, I want to be married. Uh, I want to be in a good career. We want to have kids at 27. You know, then we want to be, you know, we want to live our good life. And then at some point, you know, we, we are retired and we lived at the beach in a condo and life is beautiful. I don't know, but we all have these preconceived ideas that I think we predetermine. And a lot of that is, is it actually applies in the marriage relationship as well. And you just have this fairy tale romantic, romantic idea of what your marriage relationship is going to look like. And you enter into that relationship and maybe for a little bit, maybe it is that. Maybe for a little bit, it feels that way. And I know that there are exceptions. Maybe some of you, you still have that fairy tale relationship today, and that is awesome. If that's you, don't gross us out and be all lovey-dovey. Just let us get through today, and it'll be great. But for the rest of us, when we get into a relationship, we realize this takes work. This is hard stuff. Next thing you know, the, you know all the romance and all the stuff that brought you together has turned into headbutts and conflicts and issues and arguments and because stress happens and life happens and you got two people working and then you add a kid to that and it gets difficult and it gets complicated and so you're still trying to work these things out you're trying to come together and deal with this conflict and by the way how you deal with conflict as a married couple determines the health and longevity of your marriage that's why we're going to talk about some of this today and so you start to learn to deal with conflict and then one of you has this bright idea I know what we need to do the beautiful idea of compromise compromise that's what this that's what this relationship needs I'll compromise a little you compromise a little we'll meet in the middle we'll work this all out and so you come up with solutions and maybe sometimes they work and sometimes they, they come together and you've got answers and the marriage is growing and getting better and the relationships improving but what do you do when you compromise and it doesn't work what do you do when you've, you've seeked God, you've prayed, you've, you've gotten in the Word, you thought you had an answer, and that answer still didn't work? 
now not only do you have the original issue and problem that you were dealing with, it's added on top of that something else. The pressure of another issue, the pressure of another problem, of another critical situation, whatever it may be, and now you're looking at double trouble. Big time problems. What do you do? Why doesn't compromise always work? You find yourself further behind. I'm going to use the whiteboard today, draw a couple pictures. I'm just joking. I'm just going to write a few words down. There's a couple reasons why, and this is going to set up to what we're talking about today. There's a couple reasons why compromise does not work. The first reason is this. You don't listen. <laughs> That's one of the biggest reasons why, comp why compromise doesn't work in a relationship. It's because you refuse to listen to the other person. Communication is key in every relationship, especially in the marriage relationship, and it's not communication unless a message has both been sent and received. And so a lot of us, part of the reason why the compromise is broken down is because you're just simply not listening. And so you have two people suggesting ideas and two people suggesting answers and two people, and, and maybe at some point, maybe, you know, there is actually some, you know, a, a reconciliation of some sort where you think, all right, but because you didn't fully listen, you don't actually apply. And when you don't listen to your spouse, when you don't listen to the person you're in a relationship with, what does that communicate to them? That what they had to say doesn't really matter. And if you don't feel that what you have to say really matters, then guess what that makes you feel? That I don't really matter. Because if you really cared about me, you'd pay attention to what I was saying. But there's another reason why compromise doesn't work. And this is what we're really going to be discussing and talking about today. And that is simply this. Um, excuse me a second. I want to get this right. I wrote it down a certain way. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Write it this way. What? Self-correct. That's how I wanted to say it. There's no self-correct. There's no self Well, what do you mean by self-correct? Well, I'm glad I asked where you asked or whatever that means. Failure to self-correct. I will tell you this. This right here, failure to self-correct, is one of the biggest reasons why relationships don't improve. It's one of the biggest breakdowns of relationships, and most relationships don't even realize that's what's going on. They have, they have failed to recognize what they're dealing with. They failed to recognize what they're going through. And so I've got a couple fill-in-the-blanks for you. Everybody got your handouts? Get them out. Get them ready. I had mine, and I wrote some things down on it specifically that are not in yours. Remember, if you fill these, if you fill these out completely and do it right, God rewards you. He does. I say that every Sunday because it's true. It's in the Word. Don't look it up. <laughs> number one, number one, you've got a part in this. You've got a part in this. If you need one, raise your hand. They'll take care of you. Number one is this. Trust is the foundation of relationships. Write that down. Trust is the foundation of the relationships. So while you're writing that down, I realize that that is not new. I realize that most of you have heard this before. You understand that trust is the foundation for any relationship. So you're looking at me like, all right, Pastor Josh, that's great. You know, I'm here at 11 o'clock on a Sunday. I'm a little hungry. You know, give me something new. Well, I'm going to. As I know this, smart people know that trust is a foundation for a relationship. But the majority of the people, the majority of people don't realize the second one, the second sentence that I'm going to give you. And this is really the secret ninja sauce of what we're talking about today. And that is this, self-correct. That's what I wrote down. Self-correct is the foundation of trust. 
Self-correct is the foundation of trust. I hear people say all the time, you know, that they understand trust is the foundation of a relationship. Yeah, 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 but did you know that what the foundation of trust is? It's self-correct. That's what we're going to break down, what we're going to get into. So what happens is this. You get into a marriage relationship and you fall in love. And it's wonderful. And it's all lovey-dovey. And um, it's I will love you forever. And I promise I will never I will never hurt you. I promise I will never do this. Or I promise I will always be by your side. Or I promise I'll always forgive. I'll always accept. I'll always love. I'll always do these things because I'm going to love you forever and ever and ever. And it's this beautiful thing. And it's a wonderful thing. Except, as beautiful as that is, it's not been tested. As beautiful as it is, it's not been tested with conflict, with stress, with life, with issues, with problems, with time. Totally untested. All these vows and all these promises, right? They've not not got to go through anything yet. So how can you know it's true? How can you know it's actually going to happen? A lot of of us, you know, what do we call that phase? We call that phase the honeymoon phase. Let's just be real with it. The honeymoon phase where everything is beautiful and everything is wonderful. Everything is just, you know, awesome. And it's, you know, the best thing ever. And, and all love is blind. And it's just, you know, this wonderful thing. And um, by the way, the honeymoon phase is something that exists in every relationship. It even exists in a church. In a church relationship, because you come to new life and maybe it's you're new at new life and you're in the honeymoon phase. Everything is new and fresh and exciting and great. And you're like, I love this church. It's so great. I promise you, not just at new life, but at every church, at some point, you're going to have somebody give you a dirty look or there's going to be some kind of conflict and you're going to feel bad and you're going to be tested. Because the goal of a church relationship is not just that you attend and get be a part of a fun church or a great church. It's that you grow and get planted in the church and become the church. And that takes work. And that takes effort. And sometimes you've got to fight off weeds. And sometimes you've got to do the hard stuff in order to grow. And so we understand that. This applies in relationships. The strength and maturity of a relationship, it takes time. The question is asked, is there anything in a relationship that's unforgivable. And she makes the case, you know, maybe it's not that one real bad thing. Maybe it's doing a number of things over and over and over again. The same thing over and over and over again. You think you've worked through a situation. You think you've worked through the problem. You think you've worked through the conflict. And for some reason, it just keeps coming back. Wouldn't that just start to chisel away at the trust Start to chisel away and break down and crack and break apart the trust that has been built in a marriage relationship or any relationship. I'd say the answer to that is yes. So years ago, there was a book written by a guy guy named David Augsburger. He was like this Mennonite pastor from the 80s, and he wrote a book called um, Sustaining Love. And in this book, he, he, he gives you a pathway of the marriage relationship, and I'm going to just roughly paraphrase it for you. And, and he gives you four, four areas that I wrote down. He, first, he calls it the dream. Then he calls it the disillusionment. Then he calls it the new dream. Then he calls it the new depth. Now, just a quick explanation. The dream, that is the honeymoon phase. And the dream phase is where, the dream phase is where you see no differences. I mean, none at all. That is the love is blind, everything he does is awesome, everything she does is awesome, love is so great, love is so powerful, we're going to be like this forever, it's always going to be lovey-dovey, you're that couple that grosses people out in public, it's that kind of thing because you see no differences and just the whole marriage relationship is, you know, awesome, everything is awesome, you watch a Lego movie, it's just like that, it's perfect. And then it navigates to the second phase. 
The second phase is dis- disillusionment. And that is where all you see are differences. You go from one extreme where there's no differences to the, new, the next extreme where they're all you see now. So the problem for most couples, this is where all of the conflict comes at. Right there. Most couples have a struggle breaking out of that category right there, the disillusionment. Now, he goes on to say that there's, a, there's another category called the new dream, and that's where you start to accept the differences, that you learn to break through that. And then he goes even to a further one, the new depth. And the new depth is not only where you accept, but you learn to celebrate and grow with those differences. But the problem is most of the couples in relationships stay right there, disillusionment. They struggle with the same conflict, the same, the same arguments. And I'm not talking about the differences like, well, you know, he throws his clothes on the floor and it gets on my nerves, or you know, she leaves her makeup brushes on the, on the counter and it gets on my nerves, and he does this and he, she does that. No, I'm talking about real-life issues, how you save and spend money, how you deal with uh, conflict, like, for example, with arguments, um, whether you deal, how you deal with your stress in life, um, how you communicate your love to each other, all these big things, big issues. That's where the differences start to really come to a head, and that's where they really start to bring out what's on the inside of you. Because listen, what is on the inside of you will come out. <laughs> it will. And so that, that conflict comes out, and, the, and now you've got all these issues and all these, all these problems and stress and everything going on. And I have seen couples that were so deeply in love. I mean, deeply in love. And a few months later, they're, having, they're having, already having serious marital issues. Why is that? Because they went from that to that quick. I've seen couples that have been married for a couple years and they're already talking about breaking up and divorce. Why is that? They can't break free of the disillusionment. They stay right there in the conflict and they don't know what to do about it. And this is why it's, this is why it's so important. And how many of you have heard of the seven-year mark, that seven-year itch, that if you've been married to somebody seven years, if you can get past that seven-year mark, you can make it? Why is that? It's disillusionment. That's why empty nesters are at the highest risk for divorce in this country. It's because they realize that the only reason they stayed together was for the kids. Then the kids grow up, move out of the house. I don't know this person anymore. I'm gone too. It's disillusionment, and it is real, and it is crushing. So listen, listen to me. If you won't build trust in your relationships, and that trust is built by, and again, it's built by self-correct, it will erode. It will erode. The enemy will attack. Life will happen. It will, it will erode. And so this is very, very important. And this may not be immediately obvious to everybody. Maybe to some of you it is. And if it is, great. I'm going to show you some practical ways for how this applies, but... But you've got to understand something, that this right here is actually a very deep theological teaching from Jesus. It's straight from Jesus. And we're going to get into that here in a moment. But you've got to understand, and you've heard me say this, if you've heard me preach before, God will do his part, but guess what? I've got to do my part. So here is your part. Write this down. First and foremost, you've got to, number one, keep my word. You've got to keep your word. I have to keep my word. And this is so important. Now, I'm going to encourage you to stay with this teaching all the way to the very end because the very end, I'm going to, I'm going to twist it just a little bit so, you'll, so it'll all come together. But first is, keep my word. And I wanted to be so detailed with you, I put it in your notes because I really want you to understand what I mean by this. So if I mess up in a relationship, and I'll apply it with my relationship with my wife, Megan, who, by the way, we're twinning today and, and we're, we look super cute, so you're going to see a selfie later. When I mess up with Megan, 
the evidence that she loves me is that she forgives me. The evidence that she loves me is that it it might look like forgiveness. But the evidence of my love for her is self-correct. So that's how I put it in your notes. When I mess up, the evidence of the other person's love might be forgiveness, but the evidence of my love is self-correct in order to keep my word. And so I screw up. I did something stupid or I did something wrong. She forgives me. That's how she shows me she loves me. How do I show her I love her back? It's by I correct the issue to begin with. We do. And so what we talk about a lot in relationships is we talk about the trust and we talk about the compromise, but what we don't talk about enough is the self-correct. We don't put near enough emphasis on that. And so in order to keep my word, I've got to learn to self-correct. And this is so, so important. Why is that? It's because I'm striving. Listen, I am striving to require less and less forgiveness for the same stuff over and over again. I want growth. How many of you want to experience real growth in life and in relationships? I do. So I don't want to have to keep going through the same stuff and be forgiven for the same stuff over and over and over again. It breaks down trust. It's not this, you know, I'm going to do this and she forgives me. I do this, she forgives me. I do this, he forgives me. I do this, he forgives me. No. It's learn from this. Learn to self-correct. So there's less forgiveness that needs to be had for the same things over and over and over and over again. And it works vice versa for each person. Now, I'm going to get super theological for a moment. And I'm going to get deep with this because this is so important. I needed to show you this in Scripture from Jesus Himself. And this is so, this is so vital. Not just for your relationship with a spouse or relationship with a friend. This is, this is vital for your relationship with God. This is doctrine, and I'm going to drop on you guys. And so I had a lot of scripture, so I didn't put it on your handout, because if I had put it on your handout, then I'd have, you'd have had like three handouts. And I didn't want to do that. So we've got it on the screens, but I do, you can see where we're going with this. And so if you need to write notes and things on your own, you can. But 1 John 1.9 is where we start. Now flow with me. Flow with me on this, this theologically, because you've got to see what Jesus is trying to help us understand. 1 John 1, 9, if we confess our sins, he is faithful and just to forgive us those sins, and then he purifies us from all unrighteousness. So notice right from the beginning, if we ask God to forgiveness, forgive us, what does he do? Forgives us. He says, I'll forgive you. I'll take care of it. I messed my relationship up with God. I messed my relationship up with God. God forgives me. God restores me. God does what God does. So he is faithful and just to forgive me for my unrighteousness. Now we're going to skip to chapter 2 and verse 1. My dear children, I write this to you. So John the Apostle, he's writing this, being inspired by the Holy Spirit. I'm writing this to you so you will not, what? Sin. I'm writing this so you will not sin. But if anyone does sin, we have an advocate with the Father. Jesus Christ, the righteous one. He's the atoning sacrifice for our sins. Not only for our sins, but for the sins of the whole entire world. So John is telling us that, listen, when you screw up, when your relationship with God, you have Jesus Christ. And He's an advocate. He goes to the Father. And He says, He pays the price to provide that forgiveness so that, so that we don't have that conflict with God. So that we can have that relationship with God restored back to its original, back to its health. And so the goal is, the goal is, once you've been forgiven by God, don't go back and sin again. Don't repeat the mistake. Don't repeat repeat the sin. He's saying, learn from this. Strive to change your behavior. This is what John's getting at. You see this. So, So God's love for you is that he forgives you. 
Your love for God is that you change your behavior. If, you, if, if that's not enough, we'll keep going. I'm gonna, we're going to go back and, and keep looking at this. 1 Peter chapter 1. Again, the Bible teaches out of the mouth of two or three witnesses, let my word be established. I'm going to give you all kinds of witnesses today. 1 Peter chapter 1, verse, we'll look in verse 3. The Bible says, Praise be to God the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. In His great mercy, He's given us a new birth. That new birth, if you don't know what that means, that means spiritually born again. A brand new life from the inside out. Not a new physical birth, a new spiritual birth. So in your spirit, you're renewed. Your relationship is new with God. No condemnation, no guilt, all wiped out, all fresh, all new with Jesus. And that's very, very important. So you're now born again. New birth into a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. So that's our forgiveness that we receive. Keep reading verse 13. Therefore, because of the salvation-restored relationship with God, verse 14, as obedient children, don't conform to the evil desires that you had when you lived before. Don't go back to living in ignorance. Don't go back to living in sin. And just, and he goes on to say in verses 15 and 16, and just as he has called you to be holy, be holy because I'm holy. So he's saying, listen to me. I'm going to forgive you. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to love you. But if I do this for you, you've got to do something for me. You've got to stop going back to that same mess and that same sin and learn. Grow from this. And then Peter takes it up to a whole other level. He says, and not only do you live for me and not go back to that sin, but now strive to be holy because God is holy. In other words, I'm going to live this life in a way where I'm not even phased by that sin. I want to be holy. I want to be following Jesus and his plan for my life and live right. It's very, very important. If, that's not, if it's still not clear, we're going to go back even further. John chapter 14. Told you I'm going to lay this out for you because you need to see the importance and emphasis of this through God's word. John chapter 14. Now Jesus is teaching all of his disciples and since we're followers of him, this applies to us as well. Verse 15. If you what? Love me. If you what? Love me. So Jesus says, if you love me, you're going to do what I'm about to tell you. This is an if. This is a condition here. If you love me, then what? Keep my commandments. If you love me, you're going to keep my commandments. So if you don't love me, you're going to break them. If you love me, keep my commandments. Verse 23, anyone who loves me will obey my teaching. My father will love him and he'll come to him and make our home with him. And anyone who does not love me will not obey my teaching. These words you hear, they're not my own. They belong to the father who sent me. So in other words, so John 3.16 applies. God so loved the world that he gave. He gave his only begotten son that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. For God didn't send his son to the world to condemn the world, but the world through him might be saved. So that applies to us. Excuse me, the forgiveness and the love of God applies to us. We receive that love. We receive that forgiveness. We receive that mercy. We receive that grace. That is God's love for me. My love back to God is that I correct my heart and align my heart with his now. It's that I stop trying to live the way I want to live and then keep going to Him to bail me out. It's that now I'm starting to live intentionally for the Lord. That doesn't mean I'm perfect. It just means now I've got a new perspective on life. My heart's not aligned with the, word and, uh, with the world in the old ways. My, my heart is aligned with the Word of God and I'm trying to follow His plan for my life. And this is so important. Listen, if you'll live this way, you don't even have to tell anybody you love Jesus. They'll just see it in your life. They will. 
And so this became, when this became a revelation to me, it changed my life because I began to understand a few things. When I learned what it means to walk in a right, in a white, in a right relationship with God, it's a little bit of a tongue twister, right? In a right relationship with God and the, and the dynamics of what a healthy relationship with God looks like, I learned that, that it also becomes the framework for every other relationship with every other human being on this planet. That means what is true in my relationship with God is true with my relationship with my wife. If it's required of me for have, to have a healthy relationship with God, then it, it's required of me to have a re- healthy relationship with you. And I need to bring that same truth into my relationships with people. I wrote it this way in my notes for you, uh, for you today. My love for her and her love for me is this. When we finally come to an agreement or we finally come to a compromise or we come to a solution, when I give that agreement my word, I must self-correct to keep my word and honor that solution, striving to require less and less forgiving for the same thing, and she commits to do the same in practice. Listen, in practice, this is what builds trust, keeping your word. It is keeping trust. Your word. So I wonder sometimes if we've learned from extremes in culture, and I think that it, in a lot of ways that culture has, a lot of ways it's actually worked its way into the church. And so you had a previous generation that said, that said love was following rules. Love is following rules. And that thought became a part of how people worshipped in the church, that love was following rules. And church became all about the do's and the don'ts. It was all about this is what you do if you love God and this is what you don't do if you love God. And if you do this and you don't do this, then you're good to go. And the problem with that is there was no passion. There was no intimacy. There was no real relationship. People basically lived in fear of God instead of a, instead of a holy fear. It was this real timid fear. They didn't want to screw up. Like God's up in heaven with a heavenly fly swatter. When you mess up, he just smacks you. You're like, dang it. Sorry, forgive me again. And then there was another extreme. The other side of the extreme was people who said, well, you know what? God made me to be who I am, and I am who I am. you got to accept me for who I am. And so if you don't love me, you don't love me, then you don't accept me. And you got to forgive me, and you got to accept everything I am. And the problem with that is this. There's no rules at all. So, so one extreme sets the bar so high that nobody can live up to it. The other extreme is the bar is set so low that anybody can live over it. And I think that we've missed it on both extremes there. That there's a truth that needs to be taken from both. Yes, there are some rules that apply and some do's and don'ts that apply. But yes, there is forgiveness. And no, you've got you've to be personally accountable for some stuff in this life. It's not just accept me for who I am. And if you don't like it, then leave me alone and blah, blah, blah. I'll find somebody I can. We don't even get that with God. That's not how this works. And so we got to understand something. we got to understand something. Unless you have both working together, you don't have this foundational love because... Again, love and truth, love is more than just forgiveness. Trust needs to be established. And for trust to be established, you have to self-correct. has to happen. You've got to be a person who keeps your word. See, and, and I can tell you guys were all about it when we first showed up today. You were all worshiping God, and everybody was laughing when I was showing pictures of the Bundys eating all their burritos and all that fun stuff. Now you're looking at me like, I'm not sure I should have came today. I don't know if this was worth Cracker Barrel. <laughs> Because, I'm, because we're all, honestly, we're all dealing with the personal challenge now. This is not easy. This is not easy. You know, this, is, this is, gets real in relationships. There's some relationships where you've just continued to do the same thing over and over again, and you just take your, take your, your spouse for granted. 
They've got to keep forgiving me because that's what the Bible says. You have to keep forgiving me. No, the Bible also says you've got to clean it up. You've got a part two. And you want to know what's unforgivable? At some point, at some point, people reach their breaking point. They've said they've had enough. Because either you care and you love me or else. If you care and love me, then you're going to change. I mean, it's, it's like people who are couples who argue over the same silly stuff. Uh, money. Money is a big one. A lot of couples argue over money. You set up a budget and then one of you blows the budget. You spend too much money. And then you go to your spouse, I'm so sorry I bought this and it was a problem and I, I promise I'll never do it, do it again. And then you did it again. Yeah, but it was a sweet deal. I mean, it was on sale. It was just 25% off or 50% off or it was like, I'll never do it again, I promise. And you do it again. Like, come on, what's up with that? And let me tell you something. Megan and I have both. Both. We've both come together and had these conversations. We're like, we're going we're gonna to live by this budget. We're going to be strict. And then we go to Outback. It's okay, babe. You know, we both deal with the tension of wanting more. And I think that that's pretty, pretty normal with a lot of people. How many of you will be honest and say, you know what, Pastor Josh? I'm going to be honest. I want more too. Let me see. And that's not something that's, I think it's a bit taboo in the church because nobody wants to admit. We all want to say, yeah, we've got it all together and Jesus is enough for me. But then you're like, I want the new iPhone too. <laughs> so it is an issue. It is an issue in the church. And it might be a really good series that we teach on one day. But there's, the reality is that at some point you've got to self-correct. You've got to self-correct because if, if I keep blowing the budget because I found some sweet deal, she's not going to trust me with finances. She's not going to trust me to lead. She's not going to trust me to, to provide. In order for trust to be built, there's got to be self-correct. And in order to have trust in a relationship, this is so, so vital. It's so important. Some of you, some of you your worst arguments take place on Saturday nights before church. Some of you, your worst arguments take place on the way to church. It's because you've dealt with stuff all week long and then all of a sudden you get in a car together and it explodes all at once. I've seen it. Listen, I've been around for a long time. I know we've only been leading this church for like six months, but we have been here for over 20 years. And some of y'all, I know you. And so, so don't take this the wrong way, but I can tell. I can tell. Worshiping God with your fists out like this. <laughs> this is amazing love. <laughs> is that like the Metallica version? What is going on? <laughs> it takes you like half the service to get your wall broke down to where God can speak into your heart. Because you've been arguing. Don't let the enemy steal your Sundays. Don't do it. Lay some ground rules. This is so important. Self-correct, man, it's such a big deal. I had issues when we were first married. I had issues with being home on time. Because I, I'm a pastor. I'm, I mean, you know, I care. i got lots to do. i got lots of things that need accomplished. i got people need prayed for. i got to go this person. i got to do that. i got this. And so she, we, we would talk about this. And it came to a point where she was like, listen, what are you doing? I was like, I promise I'll be home next time. And she's like, but you won't. And I'm like, eh, you're probably right. I had to fix that. I had to correct that in my heart. I had to make sure that I was home on time. And the reason why is because we have a dream and vision together as a married couple for what our family life is going to look like. And we knew that in order for that to happen, there's got to be some self-correction. 
You've got to have guardrails. You've got to fight for what God has given you. Just because God's given you a dream or he's placed a love in your life or he's placed a vision in your life doesn't mean it's automatic. You've got work to do. The enemy's going to try to steal it. He's going to try to destroy it. You've got to fight for it. You've got to understand this is so important. So important. You know, so maybe, maybe you need to go home today and have a conversation about rebuilding trust and, and, and talk about these things and and like I said, there were layers to this, to this message because for Megan and I to have a relationship that we have today, you know, we had to also do the second thing, number two. And that is this, write this down. We had to keep God's word. Number one, we keep our word. Number two, we have to learn to keep God's word. This is so important. Philippians 2, 3 and 4 And we're going to read verses 3 and 4, then we're going to go back and read verses 1 and 2, and then we're going to skip to verse 5. We're going to bounce around, and we're going to do that on purpose. But this is what the Bible says, and it was on that video. Don't do anything out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but also to the interests of others. Now, stop right there, because what precedes it and what follows it is important. Paul is teaching us something. He's saying here, listen, you've been forgiven so much. You've received so much from God through the work and the love and the life of Jesus Christ. You've all, how many of you have received that work of God in your life? So much from Jesus Christ. He's saying now, when you've been forgiven and you've been restored back to God, it should now immediately, directly impact every other relationship in your life. That love that you've been given, that forgiveness you've received, should now immediately, immediately start to impact every other relationship in your life. It should be obvious and it should be evident. Somebody shouldn't have to look for that love in your heart. It should be blatantly, blunt, out there, boldly lived for everybody. This is what he's saying. It should affect it. Um, that's part of the indication that you are in unity with God. He continues, we're going to go, look back now at verses 1 and 2. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from His love, any common sharing in the Spirit, or tenderness, compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and one in mind. In other words, once you are connected with Jesus, it affects everything. That's how this is supposed to work. And then verse 5, you're in your relationship with one another, which is your relationship with your, in your marriage, your relationship with your kids, your relationship with your friends, your relationship in the church, your relationship outside the church, all these different things. In your relationships with one another, what does he say? Have the same mindset as who? Christ Jesus. Have that same mindset as Christ Jesus. Why? What did Jesus do? I'll tell you what he did. He humbled himself. He became the greatest He was the greatest leader by being the greatest servant, by understanding there was a need that we could not fix ourselves. And so he sacrificed himself on that cross, became the sacrificial lamb, and so so by doing that, restored us back to our Heavenly Father. That's why you and I can sit here today guilt-free, shame-free, in the presence of God. It's all because of Jesus. That's what he did for us. And so what he's saying is this, because I did all that for you, the least you can do now is show that same kind of love with other people. You can, you can take that same kind of love and you can share it with other people. And so, again, I have, I have overemphasized, I have said this, that self-correct is the foundation of trust. Self-correct is the foundation of trust. But here's, here's the trick. Here's where I flip this. I have learned that when I simply try to self-correct on my own, my own strength, my own ability, I fail miserably. How many of you learned that? 
I have a desire to do the right thing. I have a desire to, start, to stop doing things and start doing other things. I have that in me. I want to do those things. And sometimes I do. But then I'll do it for a time and it'll, it'll still fail or I'll still fail or I'll still do it again. Why is that? What is the deal here? You talk, you're talking to me about self-correct and you're talking to me about this is important for trust and now you're telling me I can't self-correct. Well, what is it, Pastor Josh? This is what I've been waiting to get to. Because it's not me and my power or you and your power that has to self-correct. If you are a follower of Jesus, it's all through the power of the Holy Spirit. I mean, every bit of it. Every bit of it comes through the power of the Holy Spirit of God. You can't do what God's asked you to do without Him helping you do it. It demands the Holy Spirit of God. So if he, Ephesians 4 teaches us to, to not grieve the Holy Spirit. And there's lots of ways we can grieve the Holy Spirit we could get into one day. And we will. But for this particular uh, instance, what he's talking about is when you have received from the Holy Spirit of God, when you've received that love and that forgiveness and that strength and that restoration and that rebuilding, how you grieve the Holy Spirit is by just dismissing it so easily and going right back into an old mess that God gave His life to, to set you free from. It's the repetition over and over and over again. Now, is He faithful and just and He'll keep forgiving you? Yes, but you are grieving Him. And that same grieving heart that God has when something happens over and over and over again, your spouse feels when you keep doing the same thing to them they got to keep giving you the forgiveness for the same stuff over and 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 over again, and there it is. And so what happens is you yield your heart to the Holy Spirit, and He starts to immediately arrest. And the word is arrest, like a police officer arresting a suspect. It arrests, the Holy Spirit will arrest those negative things, those differences, that conflict. He'll arrest that in your heart. There are a lot of issues that Megan and I don't even have to talk about anymore because we both have the Holy Spirit on the inside of us. And because that Holy Spirit is living big on the, on the inside of us, listen, I can tell you from my perspective. She could tell you from hers. So I, won't, I won't talk for her, but I'll tell you from me. There have been times where the Holy Spirit was like, shh, don't say that. And he did. He said it initially just like Mr. Rogers would. Don't say that, Josh. Don't say that. And then, and then it's still in there, and I'm like, oh, but I want to say it. And he's like, Josh, shut up. Okay. And guess what happens? I don't say it. So guess what we avoid? Oh, all that conflict. We don't go through it. Because instead of Josh escalating the situation to World War Four or Five or whichever one we're on right now, I decided to respond to the Holy Spirit that in that moment is living bigger on the inside of me than the issues I'm facing. And that correcting, that correction helps all of a sudden. Now, guess what? I can compromise. We can come to solution because the Holy Spirit's helping me to listen. The Holy Spirit's helping me to self-correct. That's the key. I've got to self-correct, but I can't do it alone. And so this is the beauty of this message. Some of you have been dealing with this over and over and over again, and it's been a struggle. Listen, I know couples that have been stuck in disillusionment and don't kid yourselves, I know couples that have been stuck in disillusionment for 15, 20, 25 years. They have not broken out. They have suffered. They have struggled. And let me tell you something. If you want to know if your relationship is growing, here it is. Are you still dealing with the same stuff 5, 10, 15 years later? Because if you are, that's an indication that in that area of your life, you're not growing. I know this is hard truth. This is hard for me. This is hard for all of us. 
But this is the challenge. Now, here's the beauty of this message. God says to us, all right, listen, I'm going to give you my love and you receive it. How that love looks like is forgiveness. Your response to my love is that you change your behavior. But listen, because I love you so much, I'm not going to make you do it all on your own. I'm going to help you. I'm going to send you my word. I'm going to send the Holy Spirit. I'm going to send godly leaders. I'm going to send all these people and surround you with every resource you could possibly need or utilize in order to win. God has set us up to win. And the only reason we don't win and the only reason we don't come together is because we choose to not listen. We choose to not self-correct. We choose to go back into the old, the old habits and what Peter calls ignorance. It's right there in front of us. It's right there in front of us. God is setting us up to overcome. Everything you need is found in and through Him. And He wants your relationships to thrive. Not just survive, not just to barely make it, but to absolutely thrive. So that leads us to the last two things. Last two things. There's two responses I wrote for you, and it's in the bottom of your teaching notes. Two responses. Number one is this. Now's the time for us to finally surrender. I mean, totally surrender to God. You've got to totally surrender to God. And number two is I have to commit to self-correct. Because if, if the foundation for a relationship is trust, and the foundation of trust is self-correct, and if I need the Holy Spirit in order to self-correct, I need to surrender to God. I've got to do it. I have to surrender to Him. I can't, co- I can't keep a little bit back for myself. I can't hold a little bit out for myself. Well, I'm going to give God 80 and I'm going to keep 20. No, because that 20% is going to be a margin where the enemy is going to come in and wreak havoc. Remember this, the enemy works in darkness. He can't work in light. He can only work in darkness. So everywhere you allow darkness to stay and live in your life, you are inviting the enemy to come and dwell there. So if you want to drive the enemy out, squeeze the darkness out. Surrender to God filled with the light and love of Jesus Christ. And then you commit, you commit to changing. That is your part. I commit to changing. I'm not going to stay the same. I refuse. I am going to grow because I don't want to keep going through the same thing over and over and over. I want freedom.